0: Hello out there. How are you holding up? I hope this finds you and your family safe and healthy. We've all had a while to accept this, but there's no denying that the early end of the ski season was a bummer. If you're listening to this, you're probably the type that skis at least into April. And I'm sure COVID killed at least some of your 2020 corn skiing dreams. But imagine being the guy that had to make the call to shut the whole thing down. As disappointing as it is to land in Denver or Salt Lake City or Reno and find out your vacation is canceled, it's exponentially more gut wrenching to have to be the guy to decide that Steamboat and Solitude and Squaw Valley are closed completely and immediately. It not only ruins your vacation, but it puts a lot of people out of work. It effectively shuts down any related community businesses from ski shops to hotels to bars and restaurants. Altera Mountain Company CEO Rusty Gregory was well aware of all of these consequences. He spent his career in the ski business, but on March 14th, when he made the call to close, he had perspective that a lot of us frankly liked at the time about how this thing was impacting communities, about how difficult social distancing was proving to be at ski areas, and about how scared a lot of his employees were about coming into work. So he made the call. The scale of this shutdown was unprecedented, and so is its speed, and so is its fallout. And Rusty and the rest of the team at Altera have had to spend the last seven weeks figuring out what to do next, particularly when it came to the Icon Pass. So, I connected with Rusty to get the story behind the shutdown, to see what was next for the Icon Pass, and to see how Altera was planning for next season. He gave me some really interesting insights, including some hints that they're not done with pass adjustments yet, and believe it or not, they're not done growing yet. Let's hear it. Rusty Gregory is the CEO of Altera Mountain Company, which owns 15 ski resorts throughout North America. With Altera's Icon Pass, skiers can access 43 destinations in North America, Europe, South America, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. He has spent four decades in the ski business, including two decades leading California's Mammoth Mountain. Rusty, thank you so much for joining us.
1: You bet, Stuart. Happy to to be with you.
0: So first of all, Rusty, how are you doing with all this? Are you staying safe and healthy during the shutdown?
1: Uh, so far yes. I consider myself uh lucky. I'm in one of the uh I'm uh, older than most ski guys and uh so I guess I'm in the uh I'm in that danger zone a little bit, but I've uh stayed healthy. I'm out in uh Southern California where the weather's nice and uh plenty of room to exercise and uh so I'm uh, so far doing quite well, but thanks for asking.
0: Sort of thing. I want to go back to the week of the shutdown, the weekend of March 14th. So on Friday, March 13th, Altera put out a press release outlining the precautions they were taking to keep guests safe. So that included sanitizing high traffic areas, reducing capacity on enclosed lifts and shuttles, making accommodations for social distancing, canceling large events and gatherings. By the next day, Saturday, March 14th, all 15 of your mountains were shut down. Take us into your thinking and how it evolved over those two days as you watched this COVID-19 situation progress.
1: Well, our thinking, interestingly enough, had relatively little to do with what the state of Colorado was doing. We were very focused on uh, circumstances in Washington, where we mm-hmm. own Crystal Mountain. And uh, as you and your listeners are probably aware, the first hotspot of note was um, a, a senior citizens facility in, in, uh, in Washington. And, uh, there were local concerns and local, uh, at least suggestions that were starting to develop as to, uh, social distancing and events and state and, uh, and city of Seattle was scrambling to try to figure out how to deal with it. So we, uh, the weekend prior to, uh, the time that we, uh, decided to close down all operations, we operated on a limited basis in at Crystal, where we uh, limited access to our buildings, to bathrooms, uh, did a bunch of different things to uh, create more safe queuing areas, and uh, so our our focus on this was really informed by uh, by that initial set of circumstances, and that that grew then with uh, talk in California, but particularly talk in. Uh, in Colorado with legislatures and, um, and uh, local uh, authorities. And all of that led to this realization that the right thing to do was to make sure, most importantly, that we're keeping our people, our guests, our employees, and our communities as safe and healthy as possible. And that meant that we needed to cease operations uh, across our 15 resorts. So that really... Came to us because of that thought process and those experiences uh, and uh, came to us by that. We came to that realization by kind of midday, a little later in the day on, uh, on Saturday.
0: So as you began to put these changes in place at Crystal, And that's a a mountain where you already had some capacity challenges this year. You had to stop selling day tickets at one point. As as you were going through this, Crystal, and you're you're implementing social distancing, enhancing sanitation, was there anything in that experience that made you realize, okay, this is just not going to be enough to do this at the mountains? Like these things need to shut down because we don't know enough yet. And this is just too dangerous of a situation to continue.
1: That's exactly right, and it wasn't one single thing. It was like several straws, heavier and heavier, that kind of broke the camel's back of the decision for me and for for my team, our team. We were uh, were experimenting with um, eliminating every other seat in buses and having very difficult controlling the crowd under those circumstances. We had a sign-up for a small ski event, and we were holding people back from becoming socially proximate uh, at the desk, and we were—it was very difficult to control the crowd. We realized that we couldn't enforce the things we were—the remediation we were trying to put in place, at least not adequately, for our uh, by our standards—and uh, all of that, and the increase in contagion and. Uh, and the information that was uh, becoming available as to the, really what was truly a pandemic and how quickly it was growing. It was clear that we uh, weren't going to be able to operate in a uh, as safe a manner as we needed to. And then once you've made that determination, how fast do you put that in place? When you have that knowledge, when you come to that realization, I think that it would have been unethical for us to continue operating given how we felt. So, We uh, wasn't terribly convenient and it definitely was not convenient for our guests. But instead of a sort of an orderly shutdown over a few days, we uh, we opted to do, I think, the right thing and uh, the healthy and safe thing. And to shut down the minute we came to that conclusion, which was in the late afternoon uh, on the on Saturday, the 14th.
0: And shortly after you shut down, the governor of Colorado ordered all ski areas and the state shut down uh were you talking to them were you in contact with them throughout the day and and aware of this pending order and and, and did that influence your thinking at all
1: yes we were uh, not exactly directly we were in contact with them through third parties you know the ski industry in general so it was well known that there was discussions going on and thoughts thought process so the a lots of, lots of people were starting to come to similar realizations at the same time, so it wasn't the sole reason why we made decisions to shut in other states, but they were all contributing factors to the preponderance of evidence, that the responsible thing to do was, was to close.
0: Altair in a unique position in that you have this monster network of partners. It really prominent places like Aspen, Jackson Hole. You have the whole powder portfolio, you have the whole Boeing portfolio. To what extent were you talking to the the leaders of those ski areas, those companies, and kind of bouncing ideas around saying, hey, what are you doing? What's the right path forward here? You know, there,
1: frankly, there wasn't a lot of that. There was some of that. Uh, But things were moving so quickly that we were taking more feedback from our local uh, resort presidents, their teams, and the communities that they were in, that was, that's where most of our feedback came from. We're part of the ski industry community, so of course we got uh, uh, lots of uh, information coming through that channel. But this was such a fluid, dynamic, rapidly changing circumstance that there wasn't a lot of time to call up other people to sort of take a poll as to what everybody was doing.
0: And you know, you mentioned the the local folks on the ground in the ski communities, and A lot of us, you know, we fly in from far away and and we don't really understand the dynamic of what's going on in these ski towns. How much was the temperature amping up in these in these resort towns, which which really are perfect vectors for spreading this. Right. Because people coming in from all over the world, they're dense places, people there to have fun. They're going out, they're going to bars, they're going to restaurants, they're together on the list, they're talking, they're in a good mood. How much was the temperature amping up at in the ski towns to say, hey, you got to stop this flood of people coming in because this is this is a time bomb.
1: So you know, it was significant, actually, and it was one of the many factors that influenced us. Our, uh, our employees, who are locals, you know, they were, uh, they were feeling at risk for, for uh, catching the virus from, from visitors. And because the mitigation we were trying to put in place wasn't working, that crowds were building up like they always did in ski resorts uh, prior to this, that, uh, that put them at risk local community members were very concerned about their very limited uh, locals, locals and employees alike, but also the heads of local uh, hospitals, healthcare delivery systems, municipalities started to become concerned about the health of the year round population, the permanent residents and the impact of visitors from around the world at each one of our resorts. So they were talking to us. So it was a, it was a rising, uh, rising drumbeat of uh, concern expressed by really all stakeholders and our guests themselves, although they may not have realized it, the idea of them coming together for this you know, social experience that skiing, you know, prior to the pandemic, uh, had been, um, you know, that put them at significant risk as well. And, uh, as we all know after the fact, so it, it, you didn't have to be, uh, it was hard to miss the uh, the realities that were peaking at the time we made the decision. It was all pointing to doing what we did.
0: So you made the call. It couldn't have been an easy call. I mean, it's clear now that the shutdown was necessary, but everyone's a genius in the future, right? So in the moment, that was far from clear. The Colorado Sun had a good quote. It quoted you as saying of the night of the shutdown, I went to bed that night convinced I had been too reactionary and it was the wrong thing for our guests and for our employees. By the next day, you change your mind. The shutdown took place on a Saturday. Help us understand, Rusty, exactly how tough of a decision is this to close down 15 huge North American mountains in the middle of a March weekend when you have thousands of guests who have traveled from all over the world? They've invested considerable money to get there. You're the one who has to say, sorry, guys, it's lights out. How hard is that decision to make? Well, it was
1: impossible to make. It was very, very difficult and completely against the fiber of the culture of of Altera and uh, of my background in the ski industry. I mean, we I came up in the industry under Dave McCoy, uh, who ran and started Mammoth, and I was CEO there for 25 years and there for 40 years. And it was always about Doing whatever we could to get open, and doing whatever we could to stay open as long as possible for our guests, and so we could all have fun. The idea of closing down, and it wasn't just thousands; it was hundreds of thousands of guests wow. at that weekend at our at our resorts. You know that are impacted by this. If you add them all up, and the idea of uh, of closing was uh, very very difficult to do. To say nothing of the financial impact of, from our standpoint, on on, on the financial results that. Uh, have been significantly impaired since then, you know, moving into a period of zero revenue and uh, any impact on our 30,000 or so employees. So all of that was very, very difficult and made the decision and then all the communication stopped. I was, you know, sitting uh, in Denver in my condo in downtown Denver alone and, uh, and I became very convinced that that it may not have been the right thing to do, mostly because of the impacts uh, that had on everybody. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was convinced of that until probably midday the next day, no second guessing myself. Uh, It was really my, you know, at the end of the day, it was a lot of good suggestions, but the CEO has to make the call on those types of decisions. And uh, But by the middle of the next day, it was pretty clear that, it had been the right thing to do, and uh, you know, from the distant perspective that I have now, it's, it was, it's obvious looking back that it was the right thing to do, but it didn't feel like it at the moment.
0: Yeah, time has certainly validated the decision. What was the immediate reaction from your guests? I, I know that you're not necessarily on the front lines talking to guests, but I'm sure that you have a sense of it from your team. Uh, how did they react? Because, you know, you had people flying into Denver landing and finding out their mountain is closed.
1: No, I'm uh, I'm not on the front lines, but the guests have a way of pulling you to the front lines immediately when they're upset. Yeah. And I, uh, I heard a lot of that, a lot of that. There's, particularly in California, a lot of people have my cell number and uh, mm. guests. Guests, because of communications that I've provided them my number in, I'm, I'm pretty available and pride myself on that. And I heard from a lot of people about uh, how inconvenient it was for them. That contributed to me second guessing myself. I can tell you, <laughs> I got a lot of calls. Did,
0: did you give it a cooling off period? Did you just kind of say, "Okay, I, I'll take a breath before I respond"? You know, everyone's going to see in in a day or two how serious this is, or, or did you try to start playing some, you know, uh, defense right away and just say, "Hey, look, I, I know this this is a bad situation, but uh, the, the alternative is much worse." Well, in terms of the phone call, I, I was for the most part backpedaling.
1: Not so much playing defense, just trying to acknowledge that it was very difficult on them. They'd come up, skied one day, you know, didn't get their next day of skiing, and uh, and some had days beyond that planned. So I just uh, really didn't have a choice. Um, you know, I just acknowledged their feelings and uh, did what I could to have to convince them we were right. They weren't they weren't interested in hearing that. What they wanted, to, wanted me to hear was how terrible – the circumstances were for them. So I wouldn't call that sort of a disciplined, you know, like thoughtful, balanced uh, cooling off period. It was it was much more circumstantial and I survived the phone calls barely and all of that contributed <laughs> to me second guessing myself that night and uh, well into the next day. And by then so much, so much other evidence was, uh, Came to the fore that it was clear that it was the right thing to do, and it was for the re- absolutely the right thing to do for you know those guests and their health for, to uh, encourage people to you know not come together as a group and to go home back uh, to their homes and, and to be safe.
0: Yeah, I can imagine passions are running pretty high. Uh, Particularly, you look at Squaw Valley, which just got skunked in February. I think they got two inches of snow. Then you have this monster winter storm moving in that Saturday. And that's when the mountain shut down that Saturday into Sunday. Uh, Did you get a lot of, uh, hey, Rusty, you're killing our stoke, man. Can you just wait till Monday?
1: Oh, I got a lot of exactly that comment with a few (laughs) expletives not deleted in in between. Uh, And, you know, I felt the same way. My... uh, my two boys live in uh, in California, and both of them were looking for a March miracle, which often happens in the West during uh, thin snow years, and it had been fairly thin. Up until uh, March, we closed, and then it started dumping. It and it dumped at mammoths, and it dumped more, and there's been great uphill skiing in the West, and that hasn't been allowed either, and, uh, you know, it's been very, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle and a sport of passion. And uh, I've certainly been reminded about how passionate people are of the fact that they can't ski here. Since we closed down, it's been uh, been very difficult on everybody, mostly on our guests.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to your employees for a moment. Uh, many of them were counting on quite a few months of stable work ahead. You have a, a number of mountains that stay open well into spring, some even into summer when they can swing it. Uh, how was their reaction to this sudden shutdown? I know you said some of them were relieved, but um, you know what was the reaction in general? Well, some were uh, relieved,
1: and, and actually many of them were relieved for you know a period of a number of days. But then the reality of you know what was a de facto layoff, which was formalized in the following week, where we over a week to a week and a half, you know we we uh, we laid off 17,500 or so employees, employees all of whom. We're counting on working at least another month, and in some places, like Mammoth and Squaw, much longer than that. So the harsh reality of, uh, boy, my season is ending early. Where am I going to go next? That hit them, and uh, we did what we could to, which we don't usually do with seasonal employees. um, We provided them an additional week of pay for two reasons. Number one, to do what we can afford to do to help them with the financial impact of the decision. Um, that also followed up with significant improvements in unemployment benefits with a federal overlay of $600 a week and a number of mm-hmm. different things that made this better going along. But we also gave them uh, that we could pay in order to – and we, we did not push people out of town, but we gave them the means to leave town to go home to where they were safer. And the ones that couldn't leave, we took care of them as the best we could in housing. And uh, so that the payment of that extra week of pay was twofold. It was to help the local communities have less exposure to contagion. It was to have employees get to where they could be the most safe. And, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, it was, this has been incredibly disruptive as well as dangerous, but from a health standpoint, incredibly disruptive to everybody that's a stakeholder and uh, that loves spending time in the mountains.
0: I know a lot of employees in the ski industry are here on J-1 visas. They they come up from South America, for example. Uh, do, do you does Altera use a lot of those employees, and, and was that an extra challenge to help those folks get back home? Because they, it's not like they can just jump in their car and drive.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't so much call it an extra challenge. It was just one of the challenge and challenges we had that really got down to the individual employee and their circumstance. Some employees didn't have a home to go to, and mm-hmm. that's we're not and we you know we uh, in our organizations you know took a couple of days to really understand that remember that not everybody just goes back to where they uh, where they grew up and uh, so we had we needed to make arrangements and so we did once we realized that uh, for our people in housing did whatever we could to place them and to place them so they weren't in you know common area um circumstances by by helping other people that could go home, get out of town, and J-1 visas were for that as well. We helped with transportation. Some had to quarantine before they could go back to their uh, get on a plane to go back to their home countries, and uh, so we set them up in hotels in the towns that were flying out of, provided ground for transportation. It was a uh, it was quite a logistics uh, uh, challenge for for everybody.
0: So in addition to seasonal employees, you also furloughed many year-round employees who were unable to work remotely. As we're starting to see some states loosen these restrictions, are you going to reactivate them state by state as you're allowed? Or are you looking for a more uniform Altera-wide company policy here?
1: Well, we we fashion ourselves as uh, one company of uh, many unique brands building a global mountain community. What that means is we want to have a common approach, but to supporting the individual circumstances, needs, and brands of our local communities and, uh, and mountains. So there's no across-the-company policy for how we're trying to deal with this. We, when it's safe, want to open up the mountains for people to enjoy. And, uh, but we're only going to do that if, number one, we feel like it's safe and in the interest, health interests of our employees, and uh, and then number two, of course, and just as importantly, in many ways, we're going to comply with all the law directives and uh, and really suggestions of uh, of local, county, state authorities. And uh, so it's not one size fits all. We are going through now and developing minimum standards as a company. This is with all of our resorts participating as to how we're going to deal with uh, PPE, social distancing. What do we do with lines and bathrooms? Um, How do we uh, make sure in our food and beverage operations that we're providing food when we both open back up, but in ways that are safe and uh, compliant and comfortable for our, uh, for our guests. So we're working on that. Now we've got a whole team of people in the company that are focused on that on a daily basis. And then that'll provide the checklist starting point, if you will, for uh, each one of our individual destinations, to take that and then uh, extemporize based on local needs, circumstances, and market differences. So that's the way we're approaching it.
0: So you mentioned earlier the your revenue basically dropped to zero, and these are pretty hard times for everyone. Uh, the financial losses for the company itself seem to have been significant. Vail estimated it will lose up to two hundred million dollars in revenue. From the shutdown, uh, Boyne's estimate is 22 million. What's your estimate for Altera's losses here?
1: You know, we're not really giving out the exact numbers. Uh, number one, I'm not sure I know the exact numbers yet uh, because <laughs> it's significant. But so you know, we're uh, fortunately we're a, we're a big company with uh, with very um, with very well capitalized ownership, and uh, and the company itself is very well capitalized. But it it was it was uh, it's been very painful from a financial standpoint and we none of us in the world really know how long this is going to last we're excited that it may make sense to open parts of the country back up and uh and you know to the extent that it is and that the authorities decide that it is and that the market decides to come we're very excited about that and uh but but it's been very painful getting here and uh, there's a good chance that we need to plan, potential anyway, that we need to plan for a long period of uh, uh, to make sure that we have enough money to continue to have a viable company so that we can every day take care of the needs of our guests, our employees, and our small communities. So, you know, making sure that we keep enough money in the bank to be able to do that going forward without revenue is very, very important. So we're going to be careful about how much, uh, we spend. We did lay off, uh, I think it's 19, um, 170, uh, year round employees. And those were employees that were eligible to, uh, receive enough unemployment that would cover what their take home pay was before. And those were also employees who couldn't do their work. For instance, there's some, you well, know, you can't do work on the mountain from home and, uh, so those people, we assisted them on getting on unemployment. They continue to get crew benefits and to uh, and to have benefits available to them: sick pay, health insurance, vacation, etc. And uh, so we did what we could to take care of uh, of that group. And then from there, we've got a financial plan that allows us to uh, sustain what we're doing now for the long run. And uh, we're operating under that plan today. And and uh, we're looking forward to opening when, uh, when it's
0: safe. Yeah, the financial sacrifices have been significant all around, it seems. And, and I understand you've foregone your own salary until all of your year-round staff returns to work. Uh, one of the things that was affected by this just four days before the shutdown on March 10th, Altera announced a $223 million 2020 capital plan. And it's just one of those things, Rusty, right, where the timing wasn't meant to be. And a lot of these projects are now either canceled or postponed. And I'd like to go through them, the projects that you announced in March, and get any clarity from you on what might happen and when, with the understanding that you may still be figuring out some of these things yourself. So if if we could talk first about Pioneer Ridge, the Pioneer Ridge expansion at Steamboat, this doesn't actually require a new chairlift, just increased capacity on the Pony Express lift. Will there be any work on that project this summer? No. And is that is that postponed or are you just calling it off?
1: Yeah. So it's, I can give you maybe to be more helpful, we, and I'm happy to go project by project. Um, the we're doing we're, we we we're going to need to postpone. We're not canceling anything. Um, we're going to need to postpone something slightly in excess of 50 percent of our capital. And really the big projects, and the primary reason for that, frankly, is that the supply chain for those projects, and I'll give you a good example. Um, uh, the Mammoth uh, Mountain had intended to install two very important high-speed six-packs from the bottom of the mountain uh, in two critical locations adjacent to large base lodge facilities. And, uh, and to do that, we needed to tear down two lifts and replace them in generally the same area. Mm-hmm. But for us to tear those lifts down, we absolutely had to be able to complete the construction of the lifts going forward. And supply chains aren't reliable enough to do that. Mm-hmm. So almost all those big projects, we weren't in a position to take any risk that they wouldn't be completed by, by, uh, by the Christmas holidays. So that's that's been the primary that's certainly in the fact that we're also watching our dollars, but the primary reason because we're well capitalized enough to do this the primary reason is that we can't be in a position where we end up with half finished projects going into winter.
0: have these lifts actually been made? Are they sitting somewhere
1: they were uh we were we had ordered them, and uh, they had started construction and, or started uh, fabrication very early stages and uh, and then came to a stop that we were dealing with Doppelmayr. We have a long, great relationship with Doppelmayr. And so hard on them as well. And, uh, but, you know, we've all been disrupted in all industries, including uh, manufacturing.
0: So out in the East, you had a terrain expansion set at Treblant. This was gonna take place over two seasons. You were set to have a new beginner zone coming this winter and then an eight trail expansion with a new high speed quad for the 21 to 22 season i imagine that project is now delayed as well. That's correct. That's correct. It, the ability to get people out and doing the work there um, was hampered in the early
1: stages of it. There's other aspects of the work, uh, underground uh, snowmaking, etc., that all of which just not dependable enough for us to be able to know we can finish the project. So that's postponed as well.
0: So is it safe to say, Rusty, that most of the capital allocation for this coming winter is going to be on things like maintenance, just these things that you really just can't put off for the safety of the mountain running.
1: Yeah, that's right there. It's uh, it's maintenance. It's mostly fixing and, um, you know, rehabilitating facilities that already exist so that we don't have to take the risk uh, that they won't be finished by the season. So it's the things we can guarantee that are going to actually be completed we're spending our money on that, and the ones that are bigger projects, by definition, the bigger projects are the ones that you know have the most work to do, and uh, the, are the ones that are the most uh, susceptible to supply chain disruptions are not moving forward with those projects. We'll uh, be awesome. delaying them, hopefully, just just one year, but time will tell.
0: So a couple of renovations that might fall into the former category here: uh, Sunspot Mountain Top Lodge at Winter Park, Snow Park Base Lodge at Deer Valley, Gold Coast Lodge at Squaw Valley, and some base area improvements at Bear Mountain. Are any of those projects going forward?
1: No, there, some some small elements of those at Bear may be going forward, but, uh, but no,
0: those projects are, are not moving forward. Same with the new base lodge at Crystal. That's correct. It took everyone a little while to figure out what was going on after the shutdown. Uh, but on April 14th, Altero released an updated ICON Pass plan, which doubled the renewal discount, extended the deadline for best prices from April 22nd to May 26th, and introduced a nurse discount. What told you, Rusty, that you had to go in and rethink your whole approach and introduce more incentives for ICON Pass buyers this year?
1: Well, people didn't get what they paid for. And, uh, you know, they. uh, and we didn't get the uh, the business benefits of providing it. It uh, disrupted everybody like the pandemic has around the world. And it was clear that we needed to do something to uh, to deal with that fact. So uh, And we continue to look closely at how we're dealing with our past holder members going forward in their products, how we're looking at this last year. And uh, that's an ongoing thing. My My father used to say, when I was younger and and listened intently, that, uh, that knowing the right thing to do was easy. The hard part was doing it. In this case, trying to figure out what the right thing to do has been very complicated. If you think about when somebody buys a pass, what they uh, expect out of that pass. And the answer is, and this is part of the magic of a pass to many ski resorts, is that It's whatever people dream about, they can fulfill with those passes in multiple days, one trip, 150 days a year. Everybody's got a different expectation, a different dream that they're using the pass to fulfill. So as you get around to figuring out what they've lost and how to deal with, you know, uh, helping them with that loss, then what do you provide? You can't provide the days of skiing. You can't – there's not one thing. That you can provide that makes everybody whole for the piece of the dream that they lost. So that's a ongoing, evolving uh, discussion within our company, and we've uh, we've taken several steps so far, and there'll be some more coming here in the in the not too distant future, as we really get our arms around what we're able to do to take as good a care of our people uh, as possible. That we're pass holders this year.
0: So the skiers seemed primarily concerned with two things, one of which you already mentioned, which was making up for the months chopped off the end of the 2019 to 20 season. Uh, the second was getting some kind of guarantee that their investment was protected. if The 2020 to 21 season ended in a similar fashion. So the renewal discounts addressed the first point in a way that probably accommodated pretty much everyone, uh, but it didn't account for the second. And a couple of days later on April 17th, you came out with some refund options saying that Guests could request a full refund for any reason up to December 10th. Uh, What told you you had to go back to the drawing board and find a refund plan? And how did you work with your team to come up with what you ended up calling Adventure Assurance?
1: Yeah, actually, the refund plan gives you the option. um, And we're thinking about how we can actually make that plan even stronger. Uh, And that'll be out here in in the days to come. But the, uh, to be clear, that allows you to make a decision for any reason. Um, uh, if your view of the upcoming season, uh, because the uh, you know uh, safer at home doctrine is out everywhere, or because you just don't view this as a year that you can you can afford to travel to ski resorts, you can decide to roll your pass forward to the next year. Not a refund. It's, uh, it's making sure they get what they paid for, but the following year, using the, using, uh, the dollars that they've already paid. And uh, they make that decision by December 10th, and we'll, be, uh, we'll actually be improving upon that here in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks.
0: Right, yeah, I, I misrepresented it there. Definitely a deferral to the following season rather than a refund. Uh, how has the skier reaction been since you introduced Adventure Assurance? Actually quite positive.
1: Um, that really solved a lot of people's issues and, uh, it also didn't solve everybody's issues, which is why we continue to work on, not that we're going to be able to, you know, uh, take care of everybody exactly the way that they want to be taken care of. And, uh, but we're continuing to try to strengthen our offerings on an ongoing basis. You know, it's, it's a very, very fluid dynamic situation from the uh, very outset and, uh, our effort needs to be to stay focused on our people, and in this case, the needs of our guests, and do as well as we can and with the resources available to them to give them what they're looking for. So we'll continue to try to improve our offerings and uh, and add new ones as uh, the opportunity presents itself going forward.
0: You know, last week, Vail released their plan for epic passes, and it included credits of up to 80% for skiers who had never scanned their passes. And that scaled down pretty quickly to the point where if you use your pass five or more days, you max out at a 20% discount. Um, and that puts the full Epic Pass and the Epic Local Pass right in line with the Icon Base and the Icon Base Pass. This seemed like an appeal to a very specific type of skier. Someone who lives maybe in a place like Florida, Texas, doesn't necessarily uh, have the chance to ski all the time, but they ski one spring break week per year and they were planning a late March trip and this blew that whole thing up. Uh what did you think of that plan, and are you considering something similar
1: no i I think that they did a good job. I think they like uh just like us are sitting down trying to figure out the best thing to do for their people from their perspective and I think that they uh that was a uh, good good slate of actions that they took and uh we've seen that as well, and uh you know that's helped inform us you know, going forward of uh, other ways to think about it, and uh, many of those things we've thought about as well, and we can see how they're doing it. So I think that, I think that we all need to stay focused on our guests and do the right thing for them and, uh, and communicate clearly, most importantly so they know going forward exactly where they'll stand if there's another short season, if we don't open next season. Um, all of those things need to be answered very, very clearly, and that's not easy to uh, figure out. And it is, uh, from my standpoint, I, again, I think Bale's done a very good job with their program. I think for ICON that um, there's so many different people from so many different walks of life, from so many different regions. Um, it doesn't make sense for us to focus on one group of skiers. As you said, I, you know, I don't have any inside information as to how Bale looked at that. Um, but we're trying to look at people across the, uh, kind of across the spectrum and continue to come up with ways that we can, uh, you know, improve how we're taking care of them. That's the way we're thinking about it.
0: So the nurse discount is a nice gesture. What was your thinking behind that one?
1: Uh, Eric Forcell, our head of marketing, it was his idea. And, uh, and it was, uh, you know, the people on the front lines, I mean, we're very, very fortunate that, uh. They're willing to go into harm's way every day. That take care of us and our friends, so they certainly deserve it. And the uh, Eric Forcell's idea of taking care of nurses was twofold. Number one, they're the ones taking the brunt of most of this. But there's a lot of other frontline responders as well. But we can identify nurses um, in our uh, in the data that we have, and uh, it was very difficult. We'd like to include, frankly, more frontline responders, but they all get lumped together in ways that didn't make sense in terms of trying to take care of, uh, people who were, that were really affected by, um, by the pandemic, uh, in the healthcare community. So, uh, care a great deal about nurses and, uh, they're at the center of this and we can execute on that. So that's the reason that, and we're not, we're not trying to advertise that. It's just something that, uh, as people buy their passes, there's, a uh, Is a list of things at the end as they're buying it and one is if they're a nurse they uh they get a discount so it was just our way of an additional small thing that we could do to uh to recognize them
0: so another feature of the icon pass that personally as someone with kids i really appreciate and i want to talk about a little bit is the icon child pass discount that you provide in early season it's a hundred dollar discount for the kids i believe six to twelve bucket It's $100 off of up to two passes, and it means you can get a child's icon base pass for $169. You can get a full child's icon pass for $209 if you buy by that May 26th, 27th date. Um, Last year, it was just $159 for me to pick up an icon base pass for my 11-year-old daughter. Uh, When we got to Steamboat, a day ticket for her would have been $149. So uh, this was huge for us and it really swayed me to the past last year. Take us into your thinking behind offering such a substantial discount for families.
1: You know, it's expensive to ski and uh, families, particularly the, uh, the young ones in the family, they're our future and we wanna do um, absolutely everything we can to, uh, to make it something that's uh, affordable enough that they'll do it multiple times. And uh, that really do that in two ways. One is through our past. And then in some cases our individual resorts actually offer even better programs resort by resort. And we encourage people to, before they buy the pass, to look at those programs for the resorts that they may know they're going to, compare those, make sure they get the best deal. So it's uh, the right thing for us to do is to find ways that we can uh, do the most for our people in general, but particularly kids and families. And, uh, so that we can uh, find people that are going to be as passionate about it as people like I am, so that they can uh, come along and replace us. That's the, that's the whole idea, I think.
0: So how are you feeling about that May 26 deadline right now, Rusty? Does that feel feel about right for you still? Or are you monitoring that and seeing how the economic situation shapes up countrywide? Yeah, I, you know, the basic 26 deadline, is, you know, makes sense for us to kind of
1: go into the next phase. I think that it's not about the deadline not being correct. It's more about What exactly is the next phase? We're still working on this phase, modifying Mm -hmm. it uh, as we go along, as it makes sense, and as we understand things better. And so the the date's going to hold, and then the question is, what are we going to do after that? And we're still trying to figure out what to do day by day now. So we'll get to that at the appropriate time, probably after May 26th.
0: And, And meanwhile, the world keeps spinning. You announced two new Icon Pass partners on the five and seven day tiers last week, Wyndham Mountain in New York and Mount Bachelor in Oregon. And I'd like to talk a bit about each of these, Uh, starting with Wyndham. As a New Yorker, I live in Brooklyn. This is the one I'm most excited about because the closest Icon Mountain to me before was Stratton which is a four hour drive. And I'll do that on a day trip myself. If it snows, I'll get up in, at four in the morning and drive up there, but I won't do that with my daughter. Um, so Wyndham is just two and a half hours for me. gives me a solid day trip option with my daughter. Uh, but my question for you is this is a much smaller mountain than most of your other partners. What makes Wyndham a good fit for Elterra?
1: Yeah, it's really the, uh, the needs of our guests and you just described it perfectly, right? The, uh, fact that Stratton fits in nicely to some of your travel habits and uh, at least the travel habits you had until uh, recently, right? <laughs> and uh, But, right. you know, we'll we'll find a vaccine, we'll find a therapeutic and we'll come out of this at some time in the future so your travel patterns will come back. So it's really about you and uh, what we hear that you and guests like you need. And one of those is to have, uh, we, we call it the experiential ladder. And there's that local resort that you can go to frequently, easily, that you probably started skiing because it was close, and that your heart's still a little bit there. And uh, so we want to make sure that you've got the resort locally, um, that on the Icon Pass that you, can, uh, that you can frequent. And Wyndham fit that perfectly. It's a very high-quality experience. It's, uh, you know, it's a smaller resort, but it's very, very close. And uh, so that loyalty ladder then is you know when you, particularly when you're learning how to skiing and adopting a sport for the first time, but also when you're just trying to organize busy busy lives of yourself and families members. That uh, then the next trip up is like a driving trip that you'll stay overnight, you know at least one night, maybe two nights, maybe maybe three or four nights on a holiday that you can drive to. So we need to have those resorts, quality resorts, that fit that bill that are in your region and uh, all of our ICON customers' regions. And uh, and then the next one up is, okay, I'm going to get on an airplane. We'll see when air travel comes back. But once I get on an airplane, what kind of resorts do I want to ski at? So it's, uh, it's not so much whether we're out looking for partners that are big or small. We're looking for partners and resorts to buy that fit the bill of the regions that they're in and the people, the markets in those regions. That's really what determines what we're focused on to add as partners and uh, acquisitions.
0: Do you think you're still in the position to buy even with all this stuff going on? Is that something you're still looking to do coming up?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Having said that, our first priority is to take care of our employees uh, as best we can, and uh then, as long as we're able to do that uh, and continue to do that into the long term because there's not visibility as to how fast this is going to improve. none of us can really see that we're hopeful, right but none of us really know and uh if we uh, had the opportunity to acquire, we're sufficiently capitalized but uh yeah we would we would uh definitely enter into discussions with resorts that were uh, we'd be interested in adding to ICON.
0: So so that's not out of the question even this coming season, or do you have to kind of wait and see how everything shakes out first? No, we'd be, uh, you know, we'd be, if
1: it's possible that this could happen. It's not, we're not having those, these not terribly active discussions. Uh, We just have to get off video calls long enough to have discussions with those people. So uh, we would, uh, if the opportunity presented itself, it's certainly something we would pursue. Again, in the context of all the other things we're doing and the obligations that we uh, that we have. And first and foremost, it's our, our people first.
0: So back to Wyndham for a moment. It, it, what you said makes sense about the, the tiers, the day trip, the weekend trip, the week-long trip. Uh, but up to this point, we've seen Altera mostly partner with these large destination resorts, you know, Jackson Hole, uh, Snowbird, these bucket list places. Um, does this Wyndham deal signal a pivot toward considering more feeder areas close to cities because we have plenty of mountains, especially here in the east. You have, for example, what outside of Boston, it's, you know, thousand vertical foot, very well managed resort. Uh, you have Mountain Creek, an hour outside of New York City. Another large mountain that actually West used to own, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, Camelback out in the Poconos. Um, so these are good sized feeder mountains. They have good vertical drops. Uh, they're well run, well managed. Um, they could help sway people to Icon who are looking to supplement these, you know, these big trips to Big Sky. And then their long weekends to Killington with, you know, hey, I want to run out with the kids for two hours on a Saturday. So are, are, does this signal a shift in that thinking where, where you might we might see more of these feeder partnerships like Wyndham?
1: It's really not a shift in thinking, uh, but it is a, you know, it's something that we've been executing on. And uh, for, uh, I think probably for the obvious reasons, the ability to put a network together of really well-known ski areas to start, uh, that that was the, the right place to start. We're still open to, uh, you know, from a global standpoint uh, for those opportunities as they come up to partner or for acquisitions. Uh, and then um, and then the uh, the idea of, looking at the kind of the destination regionals. Mammoth Mountain is an example of a destination regional. Squaw Valley is as well. Very few people go to ski Squaw Valley for the day. Uh, Almost nobody goes to ski Mammoth from the day because it's, you know, four and a half to five and a half hour drive from Southern California. So regional opportunities, drive to uh, regional destination opportunities. And then, uh, you know, day experience as well. So we're open to that. Not not so much pivoting, but we're you know that just the cycle is correct for us to start looking at that, and uh, that's where Wyndham came from. And you'll see potentially more of that in East. It's also where the acquisition, even though they're a little farther away, they fit more of the regional destination trip. That's where Sugarbush, um, the Sugarbush acquisition came from. So you no, know, we're still in the same business we were in. Before the pandemic started and uh, we'll be in the same business as we come out of the pandemic and we'll be continuing to look at opportunities, you know, through the pandemic to the extent that we're uh, we have the resources uh, to do that and uh, and are still able to take care of our employees uh, in the meantime. So we're trying to balance all of that.
0: Yeah, when when Vail bought Peak Resorts last year, that portfolio included Wyndham's neighbor, Hunter Mountain, and that gave him a foothold very close to the New York City metro area, which is 20 million people. When comparison shopping from the city, that day trip option is a really important factor. Did Vail making that move, did that factor into your decision to partner with Wyndham at all? No, not really, but I think, no, it, it didn't. Um, I think that it was a smart acquisition by Vale,
1: And, uh, I think Hunter in particular is a good example of why. Um, I think that it was Vale doing their version of what we're thinking about. They're, you know, we're competing with each other in a friendly way. And, uh, Rob Katz is a very good friend of mine, very smart guy. And we're, uh, we're both, uh, just executing on our strategic plans. And, uh, it's not coincidental, considering how few, player, few players there are in the ski industry, that some of the things that we're doing look similar. They bought a bunch of different ski resorts that went along with the Peak deal, and that worked out well for them. And, and uh, you know, we're continuing to pursue other sort of rifle-shot uh, opportunities with partners back in the east. So uh, you know, it's, we're both just pursuing our plans, and I think they're complementary to one another. And you know, whether it's a bail decision or an uh, icon decision, or in some cases where people choose to buy both passes or buy tickets at both resorts, I think the uh, I think our guests, our consumers, they're the ones that are winning.
0: Yeah, I'm all in favor of growing that Eastern network, Rusty. You should, uh, I hope you have a team going out to Jay Peak at some point, because that would make a really nice crown jewel in the Eastern network. Switching to Mount Bachelor, uh, my first question about Mount Bachelor is why it wasn't a partner mountain all along. Uh, it's a powder court mountain. They also own your partner Mountain, Snowbird, Copper Mountain, Eldora, Killington, Pico. It's absolutely huge. Why are we just now seeing Mount Bachelor on Icon Pass?
1: You know, uh, the the company itself, um, you know, we're well over a billion dollars a year in revenue and uh, have about 30,000 employees. And we're all uh, two and a half years old. (laughs) So (laughs) you can only do things, you can only do things so fast. And I think we've done an awful lot of big things pretty quickly. So that's probably the biggest reason. The other reason is we're in the Northwest now with Crystal. We understand the market better. We're very mm-hmm. focused on taking people in that region and giving them what they're looking for. And so as we, you know, start to figure out what the uh, experiential ladder looks like there, Bachelor is a natural. And it's got a great uh, population base, significant population base to serve in Oregon. People from uh, other parts of that region would love to go there. and. Uh, the Great Mountain that I'm very familiar with, John Cummings, another friend in the industry. There's not that many of us, and uh, a great guy. And uh, the people that run his resorts are uh, know what they're doing. So, just it's the the right time for it, and uh, not a coincidence that you know we've been in Crystal for about a year, and now we understand the market better. and We're uh, opening up this partnership with uh, with Powder there, which, of course, as you know, we've got a good partnership with uh, Powder at a number of other resorts, particularly in Colorado. So it's just the time was right. And uh, the first opportunity we had to get around to it, I, I think, is probably the most accurate thing to say.
0: Yeah, Oregon seems like a really strong ski market, really active population, a lot of snowfall there on those, in those mountains. Um, was this already a strong Icon Pass market? Because you already have, as you mentioned, Crystal up in Washington. You have a Summit at Snoqualmie, the a Boyne Mountain is a partner up there. Um, was this already a strong Icon Pass market? And, and how do you think the addition of Bachelor will enhance that?
1: Yeah, it, it was a strong Icon market, and even before we acquired Crystal, it was one that we saw green shoots of, uh, of loyalty to, to Icon resorts, more of the destination resorts that they travel to from that market. So it's a natural to uh, just build up the uh, experiences that we have in uh, local and uh, destination drive-up markets. So makes a lot of sense.
0: So looking ahead, uh, you mentioned that you're doing a lot of thinking about the 2020 to 21 season, uh, experimenting with different ideas for social distancing and san- enhanced sanitation and how you can spread people out. Um, on April 22nd, Mount Baldy in California actually became the first mountain in the U.S. to reopen. And it's, it's much different from any of your mountains, as I'm sure you know. You said you're in Southern California now, so I'm sure you've been up to that mountain. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's low capacity, double chairs. They were running at just 10% capacity. Uh, and it seems like, on the other hand, you know, most of your resorts are built on a volume model. And it's hard to see how that would work at like Squaw Valley or Winter Park. And I'm, I'm hearing Baldy is closed now. But did you watch that experiment and did you learn anything from it that you could apply to Altera resorts?
1: You know, we're, there's always something to learn. I, You know, I know uh, not Baldy well. I grew up in Arcadia, California, which is basically at the bottom of the mountain, a little bit to the... Uh, the west from there and uh so used to go up there a lot i didn't ski actually growing up i surfed, but we used to play in the snow there and uh, had a lot of friends that went there so we we watched very closely uh big bear um you know snow summit and bear mountain are quite close to that so we watched closely what what they did was very very low volume very sort of bespoke to the um to the way that uh that Baldy is laid out. It's a low capacity area. And, uh, I thought it was great that they did it. It didn't, what they did didn't apply very well to, uh, they they were operating under sort of a golf course ordinance, believe it or not. And it worked for them because they could effectively, you know, have sort of four people come and kind of tee off and go skiing. And, uh, it was very creative the way they did it, uh, but nothing that was really terribly applicable to, uh, to uh, or that was you know well suited for us to to uh, put in place at our larger resorts, but it was it was a fan from the sideline watching what they were doing. I mean, most importantly, they had approval and the uh, local jurisdiction felt like they could do it safely, and uh, and they executed it. And you know, anything to let a few people go skiing if they can do it while well, ensuring the health and safety of their guests, I'm all for that.
0: So is Altera's twenty nineteen to twenty season over, or is there a chance we could see Squaw Valley or Mammoth open back up? I don't know what the snowpack looks like out there, but do you have any sense of if that's even possible?
1: Yeah, it is possible, and uh, we would we would love to open back up. And you know, Mammoth and Squaw are both committed to very long seasons if uh, if they have enough snowpack, and in this case, if uh, if it's allowed by authorities, and if we're ready to go with a safe environment with mitigation in place, social distancing, et cetera, that we've spoken about, Uh, we would certainly uh, would love to open up. Whether that can happen or not, there's just too many uh, things up in the air to, uh, to be able to say that. But if we could, we certainly would. If we could, again, with the caveat that we could ensure the health and safety of our guests and our employees in the way that we opened up, we absolutely would.
0: And your Southern Hemisphere partners are coming up on their 2020 season. You have Mount Bueller in Thredbo, Australia. You have the Remarkables Coronet Peak, Mount Hutt, New Zealand. And you have Valle, Novato, Chile. Any sense of how they're gearing up for the season and whether they will be able to have a season? You know, I can
1: barely uh, get out of my pajamas to get to my uh, 30 calls a day. And so the answer is no, I'm not, I'm not terribly on top of. What direction that they're going. I do know that uh, New Zealand, as all of us that are watching the news have heard, New Zealand's had quite some success with uh, the way that they've handled the pandemic. And uh, I hope that success continues. And I hope that that uh, puts them in a position that they can operate uh, for their visitors. And but I honestly don't know enough about what's happening down there to have a real, real good uh, gauge or comments to make on
0: it. All right, Rusty, final question for you. How are you feeling about the future of Altera in particular and about the ski industry in general, as far as their ability to scrape through this coronavirus pandemic?
1: You know, even though there's a lot of unknown, um, ahead of us, uh, to all of us, uh, there's, uh, there's reasons to be optimistic. One is I think we're an optimistic people in general. And, uh, and there's no more optimistic people than those that are in the ski industry. If, uh, if, if you're not optimistic and a believer in the possible, even though it's not obvious that the possible is going to come true, you you don't make it in the ski industry. So our industry is full of people that believe uh, in the impossible and believe in uh, in looking at things optimistically. And uh, so I'm really um, I'm really quite op- optimistic <laughs> and that we will get through this and uh, and get it uh, actually coming out stronger on the other end, not just Altera, but uh, uh, our other uh, resorts in the industry. And uh, I think that the ski industry really, uh, you know, nobody's well well uh, situated for this, um, but I think that we're going to come out of it uh, quite well. And uh, I'm looking forward to that time, frankly.
0: Brighter days ahead. I'm looking forward to it as well. Rusty, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. I wish you the best of luck sorting all this out and, uh, and, and, and hoping to see you on the slopes next year. Can't wait. It's been a pleasure talking to you. That's Rusty Gregory, CEO of Altera Mountain Company. Remember a couple years ago when there was no Altera, there was no Icon Pass, just Vail and everyone else? This is better. Skiing needed that counterweight. It needs the Icon Pass. What did you think about that? If you're one of those people who can't put your pitchfork down because you lost spring skiing this year, is that story good enough for you? You could tell he hated to make that call to shut everything down, but there was also no other call to make at the time. And you heard him. They're not done making good on that yet. Lots more in the works, and I can't wait to see what they come up with. So thank you very much for that, Rusty, and thank you all for listening. Are you one of those people who is planning to hit Squaw or Mammoth if it opens? There are plenty more of these COVID-focused podcasts to listen to on your way to the hill, and I've probably got a few more coming. To hear those as soon as they're live, subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter for free at skiing.substack.com. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing
1: Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.